Welcome back to another episode of the AAP Podcast. Of course, I'm talking to you, Action Alerts Plus subscribers, as well as other listeners to the AAP Podcast. I'm Chris Versace, the lead portfolio manager for the Action Alerts Plus portfolio at thestreet.com. And joining me once again, my guy in the sky, Todd Campbell, editor of Street Smarts. Todd. Talk about a busy start to the week, which happens to be the first week of April, which happens to be the first week of the new quarter. Um, any any quick takeaways that you want to share, other than the fact that it seems the market's winning streak, at least in the short term, has been broken. I, I know all the all the uh, the hype about April's being a strong month for for stocks. It, it, I think that one of the things we have to remember is that you know, hey economic news can trump seasonality. So just keep that in mind as we digest all of these payroll reports that we got already this week. And then of course the inflation data and everything that's on tap next week. Oh, it's, I agree, Todd. It, it is going to be a barn burner. And, you know, I, you and I, over the last couple AAP podcasts, we've been talking about the the disconnect, right, between what the Fed is saying, what the CME Fed Watch tool is saying, and that that differential has been driving the market. But I think as we get more data, like some that we got this week that we're going to talk about in a minute, that rethink about the speed of the economy, that rethink about the course for monetary policy, that rethink for earnings expectations are all going to come due. Yeah, it feels like that. I'm glad you brought up the CME FedWatch tool and just thinking about what these directions are. Crazy how volatile, right? This has been week to week now on what market expectations are for, for the Fed going forward. And of course, you know, that's going to dictate a lot about what happens to stocks. So well, everybody needs to be watching that. So I, I agree. But what what's, you know, but before we get into it, just I, I'm I'm kind of a little fascinated here because you know, when you summarize a lot of the economic data that we got this week, you know, um, manufacturing PMIs for March were continuing to contract. The February jolts number slipped below 10 million for the first time, a big drop uh, compared to the last several months. Uh, ADP jobs for March, much weaker than expected, although wage inflation, according to that data, was still running pretty, uh, I don't know if I'd say hot, but certainly warm. Uh, the services PMI, not just for the U.S., but around the globe, continue to slow, continue to point to services inflation. So I, I, I look at all that and I see the market trade off and I, I, it's a little bit of a conundrum to me. And I, I say that because, yes, signs are the economy is slowing, something the Fed wants. But if we, to, if we were to believe the narrative, Todd, put forth by the CME FedWatch tool, wouldn't this support the notion that the Fed has to has to dial back what they're going to do and therefore the market should be moving higher? Right. No, absolutely. It's it's kind of weird in a way <laughs> because we need to think about these things as contrary indicators, with bad news being good news or good news being bad news when it comes to the potential direction of the Fed. And the jolts number, I mean, you mentioned falling to 9.9 .9 million. That's below that magical 10 million mark that it seemed to be clinging and holding on to. That's the lowest since I believe May, 2021. Mm -hmm. So obviously working in, and again, I'm talking the opposite, right? It's working in our favor. Although yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. job openings are shrinking is a bad thing for you, me and Main Street, right? But it's a good thing in terms of what the potential next actions are 
from the Federal Reserve in today's ADP report. As you mentioned, another maybe arrow in the quiver or whatever saying you want to use right. towards the thinking that the Fed may be closer to stopping its race rate hikes, not just pausing, but stopping so, them so and let, going the other way. So let me let me ask you this, because I, I we touched on this, I think, last week, right? And I tried to point it out to AAP members in the daily rundown videos that we do and some of my daily comments that the no, there, there's a big difference between stop hiking and cutting, right? Because even if the Fed stops hiking, maybe they have one more uh, rate increase in them, which personally I think they do, and I'll, I'll explain why in a second. If they simply maintain rates unchanged for, you know, the better part of uh, 2023, that's going to be tighter, more restrictive policy, certainly than what the CME Fed Watch tool is talking about. And the way I the way I think about it is. The CME FedWatch tool, all it has to do is slowly dial back the number of rate cuts it has over the balance of the year. It doesn't have to automatically jump to 5.1%, but the fact that it might peel back one, maybe two, maybe three, as more data comes in, that's going to disrupt the market. Yeah, right, because now you're you're assuming that stocks are pricing in those cuts that are set in for the end of the year. I mean, right now we're looking at a greater than, I think it's a 60% chance in May that we stay flat at 4.75 to 5%. Mm-hmm. In June, we're now at a 65% probability that rates are going to be the same or lower, yeah. which is kind of crazy. And then in July... The chances that rates will be lower than they are right now is over 50%. Todd, so Todd, to your point, staring. that's bullish. And if they roll some of that back, because maybe say the jobs number comes in really strong on Friday, who knows what would, maybe they right. roll some of that back, that would make people nervous. And that's probably, I mean, we talked about this, this last week on the show, right? We've got that jobs report coming out when the market's closed. Mm-hmm. So it could very well be. And I think that one of the things I said was, you know, we may see the trend reverse, whatever that trend would be ahead of Friday, because people aren't going to want to have those positions open on Friday into that uncertainty. And maybe some people are starting to think that way. Maybe some people are starting to pull some money off the table um, ahead of that uncertainty because they're not sure what um, Friday's report may cause um, the Fed tool to do or what, you know, the projections for, for what the Fed funds rate uh, direction may be from here, especially with, don't we have, I think we have CPI and PPI next week too. So that is correct for March. It, we have another big week next week, including uh, retail sales as well, but, and industrial production, but let's, let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. Um, Todd, so you were just, uh, I assume looking at the CME FedWatch tool while you were rattling off those percentages, do me a favor. Uh, what is the, Fed funds rate for the first meeting in 2024? Because uh, I, I was looking at that and I couldn't believe it. All right, let me see. January 24, it looks like. Clicking on it right now. Wow. Holy. So we're looking at <laughs> this is This is quite amazing, listeners. Okay, so a 31% chance we're at 3.5. We're currently at 4.75, remember. So a 31% chance of 3.5, a 38% chance of 3.75. 
So at least, so that's a 68% likelihood of at least 1% lower. Isn't that, I mean, I just find that, I, I, I'm not saying that it can't happen. I just, as, as I sit here today and I look at that ADP um, pay, those ADP pay figures for job stayers and job changers, 6.9% up year over year for job stayers, 14.2% uh, year over year for job changers. And then I look at the comments, both in uh, the ISM services report and the S&P global services report, that wages are continuing to, you know, uh, bump up overall inflationary pressures, that they're not coming down as we had hoped, you know, or at least some had hoped by now. I, I find that probability for that January 2024, uh, I'm going to go out on a limb here, Todd. I'm going to say it's low. Feels very aggressive. And, uh, and theoretically, that would mean a pretty scary second half of the year as far as economic activity to get the Fed that aggressively dovish. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and maybe that's also being sniffed out um, because remember, we usually get a disconnect between when the Fed pauses policy, what happens with stocks, mm -hmm. and then when they cut, and then what happens with stocks. Right. Right. So, you know, it could very well be that stocks are now saying, oh, OK, we could be kind of really sketchy. So they're retreating and then they'll start to rally once we actually see the Fed start to move. Um, now, so hang on one sec. So kind of yeah. in that with with that potential sketchy outlook uh, in my weekly roundup to AAP members last week, I noted the S&P was trading north of 18 times forward expectations. And you and I have talked about this in the past given levels where the Fed funds rate are likely to be, and it tends to peak out low 17 times or so. Uh, but I was also reading uh, this morning that some, are, uh, some folks are pointing to the tech PE being above the pre-pandemic level. Um, I know, you know, it, it just seems that we, we've had such a great run, right, that the risk might be skewing a little more towards the downside, especially as we get into earnings. And, and, and I think before we jumped on, you had said something about a couple different areas, particularly tech, I think, that maybe it is time for a little bit of a pause. Yeah, actually, Helene Meisler, who, of course, she's wonderful. She does top stocks. She contributes, obviously, to AAP. She's also on Real Money Pro. Um, you know, she tracks a couple different things, indicators, overbought, oversold indicators, um, using advanced decline uh, advancing stocks to declining stocks over various periods. She uses a 10-day period for her short-term overbought oversold indicator and 30 days for the intermediate term. The intermediate term isn't overbought yet, but the 10-day sh shorter term is overbought. And the McClellan oscillator, which is another um, indicator that measures short-term overbought, that is also flashing overbought. And then she also took a look at the semiconductor, Philadelphia semiconductor industry um, as a ratio to the NASDAQ. And one of the things that she said was that it tends to lead when the semiconductors start underperforming the NASDAQ, it can be a signal that the NASDAQ is going to roll over. So the semiconductors kind of lead when they're expanding, the relative you know, return is greater than the, than the NASDAQ. That's good because it's going to pull the NASDAQ higher. When it tilts lower, it tends to tilt the NASDAQ lower too. And sure enough, 
um, we've started to see that happening. So she had some short-term cautious commentary about technology um, and, and you know, that, that people may want to be aware of. Because I mean, we had a, a remarkable run, right, Chris? I mean, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, NASDAQ's up 18% year-to-date. What I, what I find very interesting about that timing, I mean, Helene is a, you know, she's her, her insights are invaluable, right? Um, but what I find fascinating about that is, I, I think on last week's podcast, we were talking about Micron and what they were saying about certain end markets, PC market still be, still being weak uh, year over year, smartphone market now down slightly. And then this morning, uh, Foxconn reported, and in it, uh, I, I have to search for the numbers, but they guided the second quarter down and their m- month of March fell 20% year over year. And they were talking about some pull forward in demand. Um, it, it just seems like, you know, again, I hate to say this, but like perhaps we we need to have yet this at least one more round of resetting of expectations based on, you know, not what the market is seeing, but what we're gathering either from economic data or industry specific data. Yeah, listeners, go back and listen to last week's show if you missed it in uh, our section on Micron, which I think starts somewhere in that 31, 32 minute mark. Yeah, we talk about that. And and I think that one of the things that that we discussed was that, okay, Micron's saying that we might be bottoming or throwing, but but maybe we need some proof in the pudding first. And this Foxconn news is obviously, I mean, especially for Apple, um, right? Right. That that could be that could be concerning because they're a major, um, you know, contractor for Apple. And so, I mean, they're, like you said, it could be, okay, well, yeah, there is some data coming in here that's going to make us nervous. Now, we expect earnings to be poor in the first quarter. You know, I think um, fact sets running at negative 6.7% year over year for the S&P 500 uh, in Q1 earnings, if I'm correct there. I I believe I'm pretty close. Um, So I think expectations are that we're going to struggle um, a little bit. But but Todd, take, take that. Um, knowing that we're going to have a bad quarter, you know, when Apple in particular talked about it, they said, oh, you know, they, they don't give a specific guidance, but they, they did, you know, kind of paint a somewhat uh, cautious tone. But the stock finished the first quarter up like 23%. I know. And it does beg the question, how much of this has been discounted into stock prices already, right? In, I've said this a million times in Street Smarts. Um, stocks bottom, individual stocks bottom before the stock market. The stock market bottoms before the economy. So those are the things that, you know, you would want to see to reflect a bullish market, right? If you look at a lot of these technology stocks, they bottomed last May. Yeah. You know, so we're almost 10 months into a rally in many of these stocks. I mean, look at the move that NVIDIA has Oh, had. yes, yes. It's up 81% year to date. Now, you know, we've got to expect, you can be long-term bullish on all of these, right? You can have a secular reason for wanting to own these for the long haul. But we have to remember that in the short term, stocks don't go up in a straight line. They don't right. go down a straight line, they don't go up in a straight line. So I think that that's where Helene's read on the markets and some of the other people that, you know, you and I pay attention to, uh, read on the markets can be very useful because we can say to ourselves, well, how much should I be pressing on the accelerator right now? And I wouldn't be pressing on the accelerator no. much right now, right, Chris? I would just be sort of like taking my foot off the gas, letting it coast out. Uh, and if I was on leverage, I would probably be saying, you know, it probably makes sense for me to get flat and get yeah. off that leverage. Yeah. 
I think I, I think I saw a tweet from you. I think it was today. It might have been yesterday, but it's it's time to revisit the shopping lists and use kind of any type of pullbacks to do that. And you know, we've been communicating that with AAP. In fact, I said that this morning uh, in some of my my note talking about um, the services PMI data for March about some of the some of the stocks that we're looking at. And and you know, there was a tech name in there but there was only one tech name in there, right? There are some other areas that have gotten beaten up a little bit that I think the fundamentals um, are a little more are favorable in the nearer term. I, th I think that's the right way to put it. Um, again, largely due to that stimulus spending out of Washington that we've talked about in past podcasts. So, but let me, let me ask you this question on NVIDIA, right? So you, you just called out they were up eight, 81% in the first quarter year to date, something like that. Um, you know, when we look at their end markets, Todd, uh, you know, gaming PCs, not really lighting the world on fire, data center, still good, right, with long-term prospects. That's one of the reasons we like Marvell over at AAP. So how much do you think that explosion in the share price was due to the company uh, really um, – <laughs> capitalizing on leaning yeah, yeah, into yeah, yeah. taking advantage of AI. AI, AI, AI. Yeah, no, it's I'd say 90% of the move. You know, like I think, you know, I mean, so you know, maybe it would have been up only 20%. If you look at the Philadelphia semiconductor index, it's up about 21% year to date. So NVIDIA is up four times that. So how much of that is AI? I don't know, maybe a, probably a large portion of the outperformance relative to other semiconductor stocks is tied wow. to this this thrill that everybody had about chasing AIs. I mean, look at that stock, the symbol, stock symbol, AI, right? Yeah. No year-over-year -year earning revenue growth, uh, no earnings, and now, you know, some question marks potentially, I don't know, I don't want to, like, give short sellers ammo or whatever. This is oh, just yes, 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 talking yes. about, but there was a report out yesterday calling into question some of its accounting practices, blah, blah, blah. But you look at, like, when you get stocks that are that hot, you know, you've got to put some in your pocket because – because you don't move up that many multiples above the 200-day moving average without expecting, you know, a reckoning of some kind. Rocket ships uh -huh. come back to Earth. Yes, yeah, uh, 100%. So you, you've got to be um, mindful of, of what's unfolding and what's driving it. But what, what's interesting about that, Todd, is uh, first quarter, I think Microsoft was a good performer as well. Uh, clearly benefiting from some of that, you know, AI chatter. But what I found fascinating was the data from StatCounter that came out yesterday regarding search engine market share. So the backdrop here, uh, listener, is that uh, Bing, which is Microsoft search engine, has struggled uh, during the first quarter, I think halfway through maybe early March, they took the wraps off of a AI enhanced Bing search engine. But Todd, how much market share do you think they picked up in the March quarter? Honestly, I did not see the numbers. Just so guess. This Come on, just guess. Guesswork. Um, can't okay, you tell? So can't, Todd, I'm Todd, look at, look at the expression on my face. Yeah, I'm going to assume that they picked up some. But at the same time, I mean, even bad PR is good for Google. I, okay, so they picked up two percentage points. They picked up no percentage points. Wow. Google Google picked up points. Yahoo lost. Yandex lost. DuckDuckGo lost. Um, you know, so you know it, it, it's interesting, right? So on, on the one hand, all the AI chatter 
drove up NVIDIA. It helped lifted Microsoft. But, you know, again, for a guy who looks at the data, and I'll, I'll, I, I will admit that sometimes I might be a step behind because I'm waiting for the data to confirm what I suspect. It happens. Um, you know, uh, in this case, you know, that data is so, so far supportive for Google. You know, what's interesting there, too, is I do use ChatGPT, but I don't I don't use it through Bing. Well, so I was chatting with uh, AAP team member Bob Lang about this yesterday. And uh, just as I published the note on this, and he said, he goes, and I, and I, I love Bob because sometimes he just tells it the way it is. He's like, I'm not surprised. Who uses Bing anyway? And it's true. It's it, it's 100% true. I, you know, and, and I'll even tell you the truth. So behind the scenes here, listener, when we tape the daily rundown, um, video, we're still doing it through Skype, and which is owned by Microsoft, and they've introduced a Bing tool into Skype. And I got to be honest with you, it creeps me out a little bit because every morning it says, good morning, what can I help you with today? And I just, it just irks me. And maybe it's me, maybe it's my 55-year-old, you know, mindset, but that, that irks me a little bit. Yeah, you don't, you don't want to you don't want to sit in there talking to you, spying on your, I don't, you know, I don't know. I mean, I think that, you know, Bing is more of a, uh, I think Bing has a, a rough road ahead of it. Oh, I agree. Um, I agree. You know, I'd be curious to, if listeners, if you guys are using Bing now and you love it and you think that this, this has been revolutionary change, let us know, drop us an email. Because I'd be yep. curious to hear for some people that are actually using it. There's the, if they think that this is, has been a game changer um, and it's just not reflected in the data yet. And eventually over cookouts this summer, everybody will be talking positively about it. I'd be curious. Well, but that's, so that's the great thing, Todd, about um, data, right? There's so much data out there that it's great to isolate the ones that you can use uh, the data streams for, for insight into a particular name. Sometimes it gets frustrating when the data is just quarterly data or it lags by a month or something like that. But we, we have to have something that we can um, serve as our uh, divining rod for, for particular positions. I, I do think it gets a little messy when there are too many data points that you try to hang your hat on, the old analysis paralysis when you can't really make sense of what's going on. But Rest assured, this monthly data from StatCounter is something that I will continue to be watching uh, for impact either on uh, potential share gains by Bing or share loss by Microsoft. Um, one other thing on ChatGBT and AI, Todd, and sorry, this is probably coming out of left field, but did you see that the, the Italian government is getting its arms up over privacy issues with ChatGBT? And apparently it looks like there might be some others in the Eurozone that are following suit. I did not see that, um, but it wouldn't shock me that European regulators are um, faster to act <laughs> on this. It seems like they've definitely been more aggressive against technology and technology stocks than, say, the U U.S. regulators. Um, well, so well, it's not too surprising. So I'll, I'll, I'll say one thing and then I'll ask you a question on that. I, I agree with you to some extent. It's not surprising on the privacy front. They have passed... Uh, I think I think they're on their second, maybe third round of GDPR now, which really goes out to protect privacy. Um, but you know, the other thing though too is just earlier this week, you know, we had uh, the competition authorities um, going after Meta, going again 
for Amazon, Microsoft, to a lesser extent, Google. Um, this one's in the UK over cloud because apparently they're not they're not happy that in the UK, Amazon and Microsoft have 60 to 70 percent of the cloud market share and Google's got another five to 10. So um, my question to you is, uh, is this like sour grapes? And are they, you know, pointing the finger at U.S. tech companies? And what does it mean that there's no demonstrative player based out of the U.K. to take these big bad boys on? Well, think about the costs that are associated building these massive facilities to store all this data. I mean, there are only a few companies out there that can actually pony up the money and have the resources to be able to, to build these well, hang on, hang on. That's tr that's that's true, and that's not true, right? If you're talking company-owned, right, data centers, 100%. I agree with you. You know, Meta certainly falls into that group, but that's why we have other, you know, arms merchants, if you will, right? Equinix, Digital Realty Trust, and and a host of private ones as well. There are other companies out there building data centers so that smaller companies can, you know, do what they need to do without bearing the cost of that massive, to your point, infrastructure, the, the vast majority of which on an operating basis is cooling. Right. Did, I remember the, Microsoft was actually doing a lot of research about building these things underwater. Yes, that is right. I, I remember that. I, remember I don't know if they're well. still working on that stuff, but uh, but yeah, that's, that's so I, I don't know. I, I don't know if it would be sour grape. I mean, maybe it means that at some point kind of like you know, they 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 feel like they've lost the 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 war in semiconductors, right? Losing all that manufacturing to Taiwan, and now they're playing catch up. U.S. is doing the same thing, throwing a lot of public money at it now to try and build up redundancy. And maybe this is all kind of you know piggybacks on that thinking. Is that if if we don't you know attack this stuff now, it's going to grow into something that's even more uh, more of a problem later on. Yeah, it's possible. I, I just well, when I was reading that news, you know, I, it I, I was thinking two things. One is technology has become pervasive, right? Tech is not simply the old tech sector. It really it is really permeated out. But at the same time, I was really hard pressed to name a large uh, mega, if you will, European consumer technology company. Hmm. I mean, do you got one? No. Yeah. So isn't that isn't that kind of telling though? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyway, anyway. Um so I guess I guess the message the wind-up message here, Todd, uh when when it comes to just kind of wrapping it all together and and uh quickly summarizing what we've been talking about, because we've we've kind of gone as, as we tend to do. We have a good conversation and we go off the rails a little bit, which is always good. Always good. We're off the rails. We're going down the hill, Bankman. We're spinning. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, oh, so one one other thing about AI. Sorry, before we wrap up, um, we were just talking about Nvidia and you know them smartly leaning into AI. I was surprised to see Google come out today and say that hey, we have a chip that is even faster than NVIDIA's AI chips. Are they, and, and what's fascinating about this is they they kind of have a little bit of a black eye following their debut of, I, I believe their AI engine is called Bard. And um, it, it flubbed a little bit. 
And they 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 tried to you know dial it back and said, ah, oh, this was beta. This is a beta test, not real time. We have more work to go. But it, it sounds like Google is trying to get some of that magic AI dust on its uh, stock price. And when yeah, I mean why and why wouldn't they? I mean they 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 need to make sure that uh, people understand that they are committed to improving search and committed to improving people's relationship with how they get information. So it makes sense. And, you know, Hey, if it works, might as well, you know, adopt that uh, playbook because, you know, if you look at Google stock, and I just punched it up on my terminal, um, low is 84 back in January, 104 today. Yeah. That's not up 81%, is it? No, no, but still, for a company that size, not a bad return. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, it's, you know, the, the moral of that story is you really have to pick your spots, but that's true, you know, almost, you know, it's, it's true most of the time, but especially given the market that we've been in, I, I would say, Todd, the last, you know, five quarters. Yeah, it's it's definitely been a pick your spots kind of, um, kind of market. And, um, you know, I just want to piggyback. There's one thing, other thing. I want to give a shout out to Doug Cass, uh, who also does that wonderful Real Money Pro uh, diary uh, that Chris oftentimes subs in on. And, um, you know, Doug's been using 3,700 to 4,100 on the S&P as a range to help him tilt bullish or bearish. Uh, I think it shouldn't be lost on investors as we kind of circle back to the conversation we were having earlier about the market and could it be due for a little bit of a short-term pause here in April? Um, we are about 4,100, which is the top of his range. So yeah. that's another kind of um, thing to keep in mind as we think about directionally in the short term, at least, you know, what could happen with stocks the next week or two. Yeah, just to that, I'll add uh, every Monday, AAP team member Bob Lang has a chart on the S&P 500. He is, his independent work is also pointed to that range as well. Um, all right, Todd. So we have the Easter holiday coming up. Markets are closed on Friday. Employment report, man, Monday morning is going to be a must-watch. Got a busy, busy, excuse me, week next week. Couple PPI reports, retail sales, like we said. Uh, what will be the one thing, Todd? The one thing that you will be watching? You know, I'm going to stick with the theme that I've been giving for the last couple months here on the podcast, which is I want to see the reaction to the news. Okay, so. Okay, so not so in in the last couple of week, months weeks you've been saying reaction to the earnings news. Now you're saying the reaction to that economic news next week. I want to see the reaction specifically to Friday's payroll numbers on okay. Monday. So I want to see if it was indeed if we do see flattening out on Thursday. I want to see whether or not those people come back and buy on on Monday. Okay. Okay. So I'm that's what I'm going to be watching for to see just how willing um, people are going to be to put their money back in, in play and to take on risk after those numbers, which who knows what those numbers will be. But. Right, okay. So for me, um, I believe we had a, a Fed head speak yesterday. And I think, I just want to uh, double Mester, check. right? Mester, yeah. And she's not a voting member, but ahead of the data that we got, from ADP and the um, March PMI, she had said she thought that the Fed would boost five point, go go at least one more rate hike and then be at elevated levels. But what caught me was wasn't so much that. Um, 
it's what she said about the recent bank failures and mini bank crisis that it, it, it looks largely to be behind us. So with that in mind, I'll be really leaning into uh, next Friday's earnings from the slew of banks that start coming. And really, what I really want to understand are their comments about tightening credit, uh, because one of the things we have to understand is, is it the equivalent of the of a 25 basis point rate hike, 50 basis point rate hike, or even more? And uh, I, I believe we've got uh, J.P. Morgan Chase, Wells Fargo, PNC, Citi, uh, and I think that's the bulk of them. There might be one more, maybe. Um, the the notable one that's not reporting that day is uh, Bank of America, I believe. So that'll be the following week, if I had to guess. So that's what I'll be looking at. But Todd, most important question of the podcast, here it comes. Easter holiday, ready? All right. You had to have one Easter candy. What's it going to be? You know, Reese's are just amazing. And it probably would be, that's the first one that I thought Kit Kats also so, jumped to mind. Okay, so I, you know, truth be told, Kit Kat is my go-to candy, okay? Like when I go to the movies, there's always a Kit Kat with me. Not that I go to the movies that much anymore. Why bother? Um, plus there's nothing good to see. But I will share two things. One, my uh, go-to Easter candy is the Cadbury cream egg. It is Ooh. chocolate, chocolate with a dollop of liquid sugar. It doesn't get any better than that. So that's mine. Um, I asked um, Daily Rundown uh, host some, some days of the week, J.D. Durkin this. His response was in line with yours, the Reese's peanut butter egg. Oh, with the peanut butter egg. Yeah, I mean, I get that. And then, you know, I mean, you get those chocolate Easter bunnies you bite into and they're hollow. You get the head off. No, uh, no, no. The hollow <laughs> ones are simply horrible. horrible. I don't know, man. I, I disagree with you on that Cadbury egg. But you know what? <laughs> to each their own. <laughs> yeah, well, the thing is, you have like, you know, if, if you can do it, right? If you can eat, uh, well, I'll tell you the secondary one, right? The second one is the Cadbury, not the cream egg, but the small eggs that have the, the crunchy shell. The, those are excellent. Those are excellent. But, you know, the goal here is to eat one, maybe two Cadbury cream eggs and pass out. Sounds like a good, sounds like a good goal. I mean, you're going to be doing ham? What are, you, what are you doing? You know, I don't even know what, what I have no idea what the plan is on that. I, I honestly don't. As long as you get your cream eggs, you're all As set. long as I get my cream eggs. That's right. That's right. That's right. I mean, it's, you know, it could be ham. Um, there might be some turkey involved. But it, I, I think the question is, is it more brunch-like? So are we going to have, like, you know, some pancakes, ham, eggs? You know, I, I just I just don't know. Maybe you should just go full candy brunch. Then I could wear a candy necklace. That would be great. <laughs> By oh, speaking of which, speaking of candy, Todd, since we're on this, um, any fond recollections for my tweet uh, that I shared with everybody about? No, the, I never about had a Reggie bar. The Reggie bar, I know. And you know why? The only reason I thought of the Reggie bar. This is going to sound kind of out, out of left field, and I, I apologize that we're winding up on a candy note. Um, I saw a, and you'll appreciate this because of baseball. Um, I saw a trailer for a documentary about Reggie Jackson. That's on Amazon Prime. Absolutely something to check out. 
Yeah. So I was really it was really kind of interesting. And of course, when I see, you know, Reggie Jackson being a kid who grew up in New York, being a kid who saw the 76, 77, 78 Yankees in the old Yankee Stadium, uh, carrying my glove along the right field, you know, uh, foul line, hoping to get a ball. Uh, you can't think of that era of the Yankees without Reggie Jackson. Yeah, for me as a Red Sox fan, huh, right? Uh, it's Carl Yastrzemski, <laughs> right? I say, I see Reggie, I have nightmares. But you know, yeah, we all have those from our youth. Yeah, but there was no candy bar for Carl Yastrzemski. Not that I know of. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, Todd, have a great uh, Easter holiday. We will see you when we see you next on the AAP podcast.